Let's take our Bibles and let's head to 1 Kings. 1 Kings in the Old Testament, chapter 1. 1 Kings in the Old Testament. As we continue in a series on the life of David, we're going to do this evening and then next Sunday morning. As I was preparing for this, it reminded me of a situation because we're talking about parenting. We're talking about kids. Have any of you gotten any mugs like this from your kids? that are really special, like, sorry, you had to raise my sibling. Dad, you're not old. You're a classic. Any of you get those things? Well, I got one this Christmas. From my, The kids were sitting around the table, and they say, open up this gift. And I open it up, says, dear Dad, I love how we don't have to say out loud that I'm your favorite child. And they all sat there watching me, <laughs> waiting to see who I would thank for that cup. And so my wife was there. She kept me from saying anything, so we got out of trouble. But kids give these weird things. Here's some things that kids have given parents over the years. The mom gets this thing that's supposed to be a mirror that says, look how pretty you are. That's pretty sweet that an 8-year-old would give that to its mother. There's, then you have this one. This goes to a grandpa. I'm glad you're not dead. Now, that's coming out of the mouth of a child. This one, life's a water slide where you die at the end. You are here. Now, that's encouraging for a mom's birthday that you get that one. Here's another one. It says, part of your gift is I'm adding one year until I stick you in a nursing home from 60 to 61. Okay, isn't that thoughtful and sweet of that child? So we have these ideas that kids give these different types of, they well, they're meaning well, maybe, with those gifts that they give. Otherwise, there's not well-meaning kids. They give you these things to get you in trouble. The issue is, what do you give kids? What do you give to those who are in the next generation? And there's all kinds of clever things that you can give. Now, I've given practical gifts to my kids. I gave Tony a shovel for Christmas. And he, for the life of me, for, to this day, says, I never understood why you gave me a shovel. What am I going to do with that? You're going to work. You're going to get a shovel. And so that's not the best gift we hope that we gave them. But there's gifts that we give. I'm coming out of this text and looking at it from this point. David is a dad. He's wrapping up his life. He's talking, going to talk to Solomon. And he's going to give Solomon some gifts. And I think there are some real practical application here about what, Sol- what Solomon gets from his dad as dad is finishing out his life. Let's set the scene for the entire text, okay? We are in the last part of First Chronicles. We're in the beginning of First Kings. That's the historical setting, the last chapter of Second Samuel. But we're going to be focusing on First Kings and then a couple out of Chronicles. David is an older man. David at this point in his last days, he's going to die in, in the latter 60s, early, right around 70 is when he's going to pass away. We are are approaching in, in this, this study tonight in that last couple, two, three, four, five years or so that, he's, that we're talking about. He knows that God wants Solomon to be his successor. That has been clear now for a period of time, for a number of years already, that God told him earlier that Solomon is going to be your successor. And he knows that Solomon is also the one chosen to be the one to build the temple. Now that we talked about this morning, we gave some more of the idea, but let me remind you of some verses that David all the way back in 2 Samuel 7. He had asked God, please let me build this temple. And when your days be fulfilled, God said, you shall sleep with your fathers. I will set up your seed after you. He, talking about Solomon, shall build a house for my name. Now, he didn't say Solomon at the time. You won't read it in 2 Samuel. But you will read it when Dave writes later, uh, recorded, and he tells the story. He's talking to Solomon, said, here's what happened. God said to me, behold, a son shall be born to you, who shall be a man of rest or peace, and I will give him rest from his enemies round about. His name shall be Solomon, and I will give him peace and quietness unto Israel in his days. He's going to build the house. 
in my name. Then we read elsewhere that he shall be my son, God adopting Solomon. I will be his father. I will establish his throne. And David said at another time, of all my sons, for the Lord gave me many, he has chosen Solomon, my son, to sit upon the throne of the kingdom of the Lord of, of Israel. He said unto me, Solomon, your son, he shall build a house. So it's been clear, even as we repeat it one more time, that as he tells the story one more time, he says, the Lord has chosen you, Solomon, to build the house. So this is the time when David is passing on the baton. He has already given Solomon the blueprints. He's already said, go at it. And they've been co-regents. They've been co-leading the country for a period of time. Solomon, when they started this, is right around anywhere from 17, 18, 19, 20 years old. So by the time David dies, it's going to be Solomon's going to be about 20. And so at this time, David is helping Solomon as he is wrapping up, he's saying, I'm going to help you to be successful. What does he give Solomon? What practical helps does he provide for Solomon that we can look at and say, hey, here's a lesson for us when we're dealing with our own kids. Number one, what stands out is he did what he could to help Solomon to become successful in the job that God has given him. And David has opportunity to do this. David could help out his son to be successful. He knows what God wants for his son. That's been made clear. Some of us, we have no idea. As our kids are getting older, we have no idea exactly where the Lord is leading them. We wish that God would be as clear at times with our kids when they're graduating from high school so we can say, hey, this is what God wants you to do. We all know what you're going to do for the next you know, 40 years of your career. It would be nice if that would happen. It doesn't always happen. But David has an awareness, and he says, okay, what can I do? And we talked about it this morning, that David on two occasions gathered all the different princes, all the different uh, peoples, the captains of the host. He gathered all the people that Solomon had to work with in the future, and David said, he's my heir. He is going to be the successor. By the way, just as if, if you read through Chronicles and Samuel, you will find that there's three times that it's mentioned that Solomon is named or crowned king. On three occasions, David announces this. Then we'll look at the final occasion that it's the official one, but three times. So that everybody knows, the family all knows this, which plays into the story we're going to talk about in a few minutes. And so David not only helps to say, family, he's the guy you follow, but also, when this was our message this morning, he helped Solomon by prepping all the temple materials, setting up the, the administration of the country. And so when Solomon comes to the throne, Solomon has a very stable government. He has a very stable economy. He has a very stable um, uh, pol- uh, military force for protection. He has the treasury laid out, the ar- agriculture laid out, all those different things, and he's got the temple. All the materials, they may need more, but all the materials that David could up to this point gather together to make his son successful, including the monies, the workers, etc. Plus, as I already mentioned, as a military administrative leader, he's put everything in place. So David, if we were to put it in modern terms, what has David done with his house before he passes on? We would say today he put his house in order. He put his house in order to help out his son. And I don't mean to be morbid, but I, but quite frankly, this is, this is something that we could definitely do for family. 
we could definitely help them out is we can provide the training, we can provide the assistance, we can provide just what help we could give to our next generation so they can be successful. If it means pointing them in the right direction, helping them to make wise career choices, wise choices of that we don't make for them. But we give direction, knowing their abilities, their skills, their giftedness, knowing what they can do, giving some direction, helping them to make these decisions. But again, we have to always be encouraging the next generation, do what God wants you to do. Do make sure you do what God wants you to do. Don't do what I want you to do, even though it would be a thrill sometimes, but do what God wants you to do. Put God first. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. In a very practical way, putting your house in order. Just putting your house in order. And, and again, this sounds so, so morbid and it sounds so difficult, but you have no idea how helpful it is to families when things are put in order before somebody passes on. Just to be able to help them out. Just to be able to have things structured and organized. It is just, you know, it is so helpful. And the idea is, I don't want to do it. I don't want to get out this paper and fill this paper out and have that material ready for my kids if something were to happen. Because I think in my mind, if I fill it out, it's going to happen. You know, and I don't want it to happen yet. Okay, and so th- th- that's just not wise thinking. But make sure you have your house in order. Have the, in, you know, the things taken care of. Even for you, between you as husbands and wives or you and your family with other adults, making them aware of what should something happen, what is what needs to be taken care of, where things are. And we've got those materials that we say, hey, listen, fill out these, these forms that would be helpful to give addresses, to give direction, to give you know, financial, <clears throat> financial direction, which bank, or even passwords, things of that sort. That would be so helpful to have some place organized that it's kept in private, but your family would know how to access that if something were to happen. Do what you can to help your kids avoid conflict after your passing. Do what you can. Now, David is going to help this. He's, and think about the practical. David is saying to, he has other sons. They don't all listen. That we're going to see in a few moments. But David has other, other relatives. He has lots of nephews. In fact, Joab is one of his nephews. David has another son, Adonijah, who is older than Solomon. And he's saying, this is the guy. This is the king. And David is helping them to avoid conflict later on. And David will take another step, as we'll see in a minute. So number two, David gave him very practical, helpful advice. By the way, can I start off this section by saying, unsolicited advice is not advice. It's usually seen as what? Intrusion. Okay? So we want to be careful that when we're giving advice that we're, we're cautious with it. But... In the story in 1 Kings, let's go to the second chapter. Okay, second chapter of 1 Kings. David is, David is going to give his farewell advice. And we read in chapter two, uh, chapter 2, verse 1. Now the days of David drew nigh that he should die. And as he charged Solomon his son, he said, I go the way of all the earth. Be strong, therefore, and show thyself to be a man. And keep the charge of the Lord thy God, in the, and walk in his ways. Keep his statutes, his commandments, and his judgments, and etc., etc. Then he's, we'll come back to that. <clears throat> then down in verse 5, after he's given them a challenge spiritually, he says, Moreover, 
You know also what Joab, the son of Zariah, did to me, and what he did to the two captains of the host of Israel, unto Abner, the son of Ner, and unto Amasa, the son of Jether, whom he slew and shed the blood of war in peace, and put the blood of war upon his girdle that was about his loins, and his, in his shoes there were in his feet. Uh, the Hebrew has the idea that the blood was draining into his shoes. The idea that this guy was a really bloody, a violent man. And he says, Do therefore according to your wisdom, and let not his gray head go down to the grave in peace. In other words, what's dad telling David to do? Get rid of, get rid of Joab. Get rid of Joab. Then he goes on, he says, in the, in the, let's jump down to verse 8. And behold, you have with thee Shimei, the son of Gera, a Benjamite of Bahurim, which cursed me with a grievous curse in the day when I went to Mahanaim. He's referring to the day that they, re- they fled Jerusalem during the great rebellion of Absalom. That's when he ran to Mahanaim. But he came down to meet me at the Jordan River, and I swear to him by the Lord, saying, I will not put him to death. Now, therefore, hold him not guiltless, for you're, you're a wise man, and you know what you ought to do to him. But his gray head, his silver hair, bring thou down to the grave with blood. What's he telling him to do to Shimei? Kill him. Okay, make sure that he's taken care of. Now, some people respond to this passage, and they say, hey, this shows that David was just an extremely vindictive, vengeful man. That's not true. That's not true. David has been, his life has been typified by being forgiving. He's gotten angry at times. But like Nabal, there was some forgiveness. Like Shimei, there was a sense of forgiveness. Joab, there should have been some action against Joab, especially after he killed Absalom. And so David has been overly forgiving at times. Okay? And overly not executing judgment when he should have, like to his son, who murdered, Absalom murdered Abnon. So David's not a vindictive, vengeful person. That's not his character as you go through his stories. Um, but what David's doing here is he's encouraging Solomon to be very wise. And so let me walk through this. Why would David tell Solomon he should get rid of Joab? By, by the way, at this point, what is Joab to David? Anybody remember what Joab's relationship to He's a nephew, but on an administrative situation, work-wise. Anybody remember who Joab is? He's the, he's the commander, the general, chief of staff. He's the military leader. He's been fired a couple times, but he got back into his position. And so as the stories have been going along, Joab is a great general. He's a wise, he's a good military guy. But character-wise, he's got a lot to be desired. And so David describes him as a very bloody man and refers to the two times that David was promoting people over Joab. Each time, Joab killed those men. So he got rid of the competition by slaying him. And in both cases, he got close to the man, befriended them, and said, Hey, how you doing? And in the midst of the hug, he stabbed him. So he's a, he's, a, he's a notorious character. And as well, you didn't read it, but we're going to go to it in a few moments. In chapter 1, Adonijah, David's oldest living son, is going to try to become king. And, and crown himself while David is still alive. And so he's going to create a scenario where he wants to become king. He announces he's the new king. And two people join up with, with uh, Adonijah in this, I'm going to call it rebellion. It's very subtle, but a very, very coup, quiet coup. One of them is Joab. 
Joab has heard David say Solomon is going to be the next king. But Joab throws his lot in with Adonijah. And so that shows you something. Joab is not pro-Solomon. Solomon could have a problem with this guy. In fact, his history is ruthlessness, self-promotion as well. Did Joab ever defy David? Sure. Remember David said, deal softly with my son Absalom. Who's the guy that the soldiers, when Absalom was hanging there, his hair is caught in the tree, and he's kind of suspended between tree limb and ground. Soldiers were standing around, and none of them dared do anything to Absalom because David had said, don't harm my son. Joab comes running, running up, and he, when he arrives, the so, he says, why didn't any of you kill him? And they say, because the king said, don't harm my son. And Joab says, basically, I don't care. And he spears Absalom three times through with three spears. So he openly defied the king. And so he's got this history. If you were a young man, 20 years of age, this is an experienced, seasoned soldier soldier that the troops have been following for years. Could he be a thorn in your side? Absolutely. Absolutely. And he's shown himself that he's not favoring Solomon to be the king, but somebody else. And so David says, basically, Solomon, you, you need to take care of this guy. I know I've dealt with him. I've kept him under my thumb just because he's been loyal, quote unquote, tongue in cheek, loyal to me, but he's going to be a problem for you. Good advice. In a world that that's how you deal with it. You know, get rid of this man. Uh, today we'd say fire him. But back in those days they would have to take him out. And that was just the culture. When it comes to Shimei, it's the same thing that Shimei had in that great revolt. Curse David. Remember that whole story. David, when he comes back weeks later after the, the war is over, Shimei is one of the first men to meet him at the River Jordan and say, Oh, forgive me. David has, has forgiven him, but David doesn't t- trust him, as is apparent now. That David says, there's something not right here, I'm not sure, whatever. But Solomon, you are wise. You need to take care of this. Don't trust him. Don't, you know, keep him. So what Solomon does, as you read in the next chapter or two, Solomon says to Shimei, he says, Shimei, I will let you live as long as you stay in Jerusalem. Do you remember the story? You've got to stay inside the city walls. Why does he want him staying inside the city walls? What's that? Yeah, I don't trust you back at you know, your home area. I, I'm going to keep an eye on you. You stay here. Well, he stays there three years. And Solomon had told him, the day you leave Jerusalem is the day you will die. So this was pretty serious. So Solomon, as the ruler, put this, gave him some rope. But basically, you only give enough rope that he hangs himself. And so what happens is one of his slaves runs away. And so he wants to recover a slave or servant of, of, for, his, for himself. So he leaves the capital, and then he goes back to where he's going to recover this servant. And when he comes back, Solomon says, where were you? And if I'm not mistaken, he's the, there's two of them that do it. I think he's one of them. That runs to the sanctuary, and they grab on to one of the external altars with the idea that don't slay me. You know, uh, in the Middle Ages, we would call it calling out for sanctuary. Well, he's going to claim that, you know, I I didn't mean it. I I forgot. None of you had children that did this, did they? Yeah. 
Oh, I forgot you said. That was the rule. I forgot. I just told you two minutes ago. Yeah, but I forgot. Well, Shimei forgets, and so what happens is Solomon says, I warned you. I warned you, and I'm not counting to three. Okay? I was giving you one strike, and that's it. You did it. You blew it. And so in wisdom, that's how he takes care of it. It's not a vindictive, vengeful, you know, irate form, but he dealt with them. The reason I say as well that David is not necessarily this bloody man, vindictive man, is in the midst, I, I skipped over another verse when I read it. In the middle of saying, hey, take care of these people, there was Joab that you got to be concerned about. There is Shimei you got to be concerned about. But he mentions somebody else. He says in verse 7, But show kindness unto Barzillai, the Gileadite, and let them be of those that eat at, my, at your table. For so they came to me when I fled because of Absalom thy friend. This is a fellow we jumped over when we were talking about the great rebellion. When David is fleeing the city and the people are hungry and thirsty and they need some place to run to, they run to Mahanaim, which is Barzillai's castle, fortress. And he housed David there during that time and all of David's family, which would have included Solomon as a kid. So Solomon's, Solomon was showing kindness by Barzillai. Well, when David comes back to the throne and the war is over and Absalom's defeated, when David heads back to Jerusalem, Barzillai takes him up to the River Jordan, accompanies him, and he says, why don't you come, David says, why don't you come and live at the palace? Enjoy my favor. You're one of my favorite vassals. You know, come and be with me. He says, I'm an old man. I'm going to die in my own bed. But my son... Would you take him to the palace and make him one of the princes? And so David takes the son of Barzillai and he promises that he shall eat at my table like one of my sons. And for now, these last few years since the rebellion, Barzillai's son is there. And David says, continue to show favor to the household of Barzillai. That he showed kindness to us, you continue to show kindness. It almost reminds me of the, of the account that we looked at a couple of weeks ago where Saul forgot the promise that was made, a promise of kindness to the Gileadites, uh, Gibeonites. And generations or decades later, there's problems. David is saying, don't forget the promise I made. I promise that his son will eat at the king's table as long as the son lives. He's still alive. You show kindness. So he's giving him all these tidbits of advice that are really, really proper, really, really practical. And I look and say, okay, if, uh, if I want to emulate that same thing, what I should do with my kids, grandkids, is I should provide some of that same practical instruction, some godly counsel at times, the counsel on dealing with real practical areas, practical areas of life that, that they should show kindness and be generous, be honest, be people of, of great character, how to handle your power, and how to handle success. By the way, for this to happen, you need to know the principles from the Word of God. You need to understand them. So you got to give good standards and you want to help them to be able to act right, be right. But, they, but for you to give them that type of counsel, there has to be a respect factor. That they want to listen to you. So you and I have to be working at all times in relationship with our kids, our grandkids, that we're working in a way that we build a respect factor that they, uh, that they will listen to what we're saying in advice in practical areas, whether it be business, whether it be friendships, whether it be David, re I'm sorry, Solomon respected David enough that he listened to his dad. 
would your kids, your grandkids, would they respect you enough to listen to the advice that you would give? Your advice has to be based on Scripture. Your advice has to be wise. You have to learn that. But you have to have a relationship with them where they will listen to you. Solomon and David had that. What a blessing for them. Something that we want to strive towards. And then give practical advice that would help them out in their everyday life and know when to give that advice. Can you give a third thing that he gives? Not only practical advice, not only does he give him some help and assistance, but let, let's, let's up it a, a little bit. Let's take it a little bit more serious. Is David repeatedly urged Solomon to have right priorities in his life. I, I want you to catch the way I phrase that. Repeatedly. I'm going to read several texts to you in just a minute. They are all going to say basically similar things, same things. That day, basically it's going to be this idea, make sure you're right with God. Make sure you keep on obeying the Lord. But David said it repeatedly to a teenager. Why? Why would you have to say anything repeatedly to a teenager? Okay? Do, do we even need to bother answering that one? Okay. Sometimes we need to say things repeatedly to the husband. Why would that be the case? Us husbands, we always listen closely. And we always catch everything the first time. And we never forget. And your wives are now giving me those dagger eyes. Okay? So certain people, it's really helpful to repeat things. And when it's repeated, it's not only beneficial to be heard, but what's it saying? This is something really, really, really important. So I want you to catch it. He says it repeatedly. And it's always going to be the same theme. The number one thing you need to deal with, and it's in this very text that we started with just a few moments ago. When David's giving his last words, he doesn't get to Joab, Shimei, and Barzillai right away. He deals with being right with God first and foremost. So what I want to do is I want to read these verses. I want you to be writing down on your papers there or in your mind what stands out to you. What one, two, or three tidbits of advice You write them down and we're going to share them. What do you see David saying that we would say to our own kids? That we'd say, hey, this is a little tidbit. One of the statements he made, this one, do this or be this. Write it down. As I read it, you listen and you write down your thoughts that you would share as an older, wiser person sharing to a younger person what they need to do as far as keeping priorities. I'm going to start reading in one text, and you, you can follow her just like I say. You just listen closely as I read the different passages, if I can find them in my Bible, where we're talking about um, David's last words, or semi-last words that he's going to give to Solomon. I'm going to start with this one text. When you shall prosper, if you... Or, You shall prosper if you take heed to fulfill the statutes and judgments which the Lord charged Moses with concerning Israel. Be strong and of good courage. Dread not, nor be dismayed. I'm going to read another text, a few verses down. David also commanded all the princes of Israel to help Solomon, and he said, Is not the Lord your God with you? Has he not given you rest on every side? Has he given, for he hath given the inhabitants of the land into your hand, and the land is subdued before the Lord and before his people. Now set your heart and your soul to seek the Lord your God. 
Arise, therefore, build this sanctuary into the house, uh, as unto the house of the Lord. Let me read another section where he's going to make comments to his son and give him spiritual advice. I'm starting in here in First Chronicles. Again, write down what stands out to you. Now, therefore, in the sight of all of Israel, the congregation of the Lord, and in the audience of our God, keep and seek for all the commandments of the Lord your God, that you may possess this good land, leave it for an inheritance. And you, Solomon, my son, know the God of your father. Serve him with a perfect heart, with a willing mind. For the Lord searches all hearts and understands all the imaginations of the thoughts. If you seek him, he will be found of you. But if you forsake him, he will cast you off forever. Take heed now, for the Lord hath chosen you to build the house of the sanctuary. Be strong and do it. A few more verses. Be strong and of good courage and do it. Fear not, nor be dismayed, for the Lord God, even my God, will be with you. He will not fail you, nor forsake you, until you have have finished all the work for the service of the Lord. And then he goes on, talks about some practical areas. And then one more passage that I wanted to share, and I've read part of it. He said to Solomon, I go the way of all the earth. Be strong, therefore, show yourself to be a man. Keep the charge that the Lord thy God has given you to walk in his ways, to keep his statutes and his commandments and his judgments and his testimonies as it is written in the law of Moses in order that you may prosper in all that you do and whithersoever you turn yourself, that the Lord may continue his word which he has spake concerning me, that said, If your children take heed to their way, to walk before me in truth with all their heart, with all their soul, that there shall not fail you a man in the throne of Israel. Okay? So David's giving practical advice. Before you share what you may have found on it, doesn't this remind you similar to what Solomon, or what Moses said to Joshua? Where he said, Be strong and of good courage. This similar type of uh, passing the baton that has happened. It's the same thing that Joshua gathers all the people and he says, you know, as for me and my house, we will... Okay, and then he goes on, you need to be strong. So, let's, let's pause, okay? This is similar to what David's been saying. What stood out to you? Any single phrases, any ideas that a parent might pass on to a child or a grandchild? Anything? Go ahead, Ron. Okay, follow God's commands and laws. Excellent. Anything else? What did you say? Trust, seek, and serve. Somebody here? Remember God's faithfulness in the past. Excellent. Anybody else? Anything stand out? God will never leave you nor forsake you. Anything else stood out? Be strong and do it. Do what God has told you to do. Anything else stands out? Excellent. Continue to seek after God and His commandments. Anybody else? Anything else? Was there any warnings? Yeah, yeah, several times. He said, be careful. Be careful. Why would he say that to Solomon? Because David knows by experience what can happen, right? So if, if you just start listing all the different things that, that he's telling his son all the way through, it's amazing what he's saying. 
really good, really good thoughts. God has a plan for your life. You are his son. God cares for you. God knows you thoroughly. He mentions that God knows you and you can know God. He mentions that you're not alone, as you mentioned. I will never leave you nor forsake you. That idea of trust that you brought up. That he talks about this whole idea that not forsaking. You need to be bold. You need to do it. He's talking about obeying God's word. Be careful. Don't waver. If you don't obey, there's going to be punishment. There's going to be consequences. Good advice that we remind our kids. You need to work with other believers and keep on going. So he's getting all this tidbits. Now there's a preacher, Ed Young, down in... um Where's he at? In Houston. And uh, one of the messages he preached not too long ago, I heard him make this comment. He's telling a story about when he was a kid. And he's sharing about how when he was a kid, his mother used to say to him certain things. When I was a little boy and then when I was a teenager, inevitably when I'm ready to go out for a date, my mom would say to me, Ed, remember who you are. Remember who you are. Remember who you are. You belong to the king. Don't forget when you're making any decision, remember who you are. And he concludes, he says, man, that was powerful to arm me as a child with the understanding to remember who I am. I'm a child of the king. Just those little significant thoughts that we can pass on to our kids. For him, it was one, remember who you are. David is giving it to Solomon. My point is that David is passing on to his son spiritual truth. David's doing it. Yes, should there be the priest doing it? Should it be the modern-day church? Yes, absolutely. But David is taking the time to say, Son, I'm helping you with business. I'm helping you, giving you practical advice on how to administrate and deal with some troublemakers and what to do as far as... But this is most important. This is it. You've got to be walking with the Lord. To walk with the Lord, you've got to do this. You've got to do this. Keep this in mind. Do you pass such things on? Even, by the way... Solomon is in his early adult years. He's already going to be, he's already declared king. And David is still able to give him advice, and Solomon listens. So I think to myself, okay, as a parent, some of you have kids that are still young. Do you have a plan to teach them spiritual truths? Do you have a plan? Do you have a system by which you're following so that you can teach them this truth and build on a secondary truth and a third truth instead of just whatever comes along, maybe, you know, we might get to it. No, no, no. You need a plan so you get to it. You need a plan to teach the Word of God, the spiritual truths. You need to have some type of, when I say plan, maybe it's a curriculum. Maybe it's some type of format that you're using where you're, to, you're sharing with them that you can repeat truth to them. Do your kids even know your story? Did David's sharing his story with Solomon, where on these two occasions, Solomon, this is what happened. This is how God spoke to me. Do you have, some of us are a little bit older, do our kids, do our grandkids know the story of God's leading in our lives? Some of us didn't grow up in Christian homes. We didn't have that privilege. And for the kids to know their spiritual history it's really impacting. It's important that they know that. You say, well, they don't listen. Write it down. Record it. That is important information for them to have to even know in the future that it can be used by God in their lives that they know. Do, 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 do they know that you pray and then they you know how God is answering? Do you ever take time to read Scripture together? Do you have time where you're praying together? These are important ways of giving truth to somebody. Is, so I, I make these practical suggestions. Set up periodic times 
where you're reading, where you're praying together. If you have little kids in the home, develop that reading at the time to go to bed. Develop some system of devotional reading. Uh, one of our kids just recently, they, they t- bought the, the Children's Progress for Kids, uh, Ch- Pilgrim's Progress for Kids. And it was their story that they read a chapter or two every night as they went through. Now, if you've read Pilgrim's Progress, you're thinking, oh, wow, that's deep. But this comes now modified in even children version. And their thought is, we're going to read that, and then maybe next year we'll read it again, because there's a lot of spiritual symbolism and truth in there. But they have some type of a method that they're putting into their kids' lives, where on a regular daily basis, they're reading scriptures, they're reading Bible truths, they're rehearsing them for just a few minutes every night. How important that is. Fantastic. The other thing I know what we did, and now our kids are doing it, is when the kids go to bed, we always had them listen to uh, cassette tapes. Some of you don't know what that is. Okay. Um, but we had them listen to things. We found that the Patch the Pirate was tremendous stuff. That had quieting music. It had stories that was adventuresome, but it always had Bible truth. And it's really interesting now when we go and visit our kids at different spots, guess what their kids are listening to when they go to bed? Something, well, that's it's a patch pirate, but some recent, more recent ones. And it's just helping them to just get that truth. Maybe it's, maybe it's doing this. Maybe what you want to do is, as I said, record your testimony, but maybe you want to read some Bible verses. My wife and, and daughters, what they did, uh, uh, not this most recent months, but several months ago, they were all reading devotional book, the same book. And then they would text each other during the course of a week of what they got out of that book. What a, what a blessing. To be able to share those truths with each other and to have those, maybe maybe it would be helpful. And we've been we've been somewhat lax, and I've just really been challenged by it by some of your encouragement to get back to putting memory cards in the bulletin, just to get us back to reminding about Bible memory. Maybe what you can do as a family is memorize one of those verses every week. And just make it a project that we're getting God's truth into our hearts and into our minds. And even as you are recording some things that have happened, as you do your prayer journal or as you write down, write down some of the way that God has answered prayer. That would be really cool to be able to share with your kids, grandkids. This is how God has answered prayer. This is, this is where the Lord is leading. Somehow, give your story in your walk and your lessons to the next generation. For sake of time, let me move on. David gave him a good example. Now, you, you might debate this and say, well, David had an affair with Bathsheba. I do remind you of a historical fact. Where was Solomon when David had his affair with Bathsheba? That was, that was before he was around. That was before. So he is now growing up with dad who has been repentant from that time and has gotten his house in a far better state of condition than what he did earlier. And so what happens is, um, so David in his life, he's providing this example of a man after God's own heart. And Solomon is going to hear about this. Solomon is going to know it's true. In fact, there are three times that David, that God will say after David dies, God will say... Solomon, remember your dad. Uh, let, let me point this out, okay? We have it up here. Chapter 3, verse 14. It's when that time that God says, ask whatever you will, and you read what God says to David. If you will walk in my ways to keep my statutes and my commandments as your father David did walk, then I will lengthen your days. He says that in another time. In Second Chronicles, he makes that same comment to him where he is uh, at the dedication of the temple, if I'm not mistaken. That's the time that, that God will say to Solomon personally as they're doing the de- dedication. He says, 
As for you, if you will walk before me as David your father walked and do according to all that I commanded you and shall observe my statutes. He does it another time. When Solomon is later on, several years later, as I put up on the wall, it's, uh, if I understand right, about five, six years later, that God says to Solomon, and he says, Remember your father, if you will walk before me as David your father walked, in the integrity of heart, in the uprightness, and do according to all that I have commanded, and will keep my statutes and my judgments, then I will establish the throne of your kingdom. How would you like to have this for a legacy? Walk with me as your dad did. What a tremendous legacy. Okay, and you might debate David's godliness, but God isn't debating it. God is saying, this is an example to you. You had one firsthand. David gave Solomon a good example of a godly walk. As David was in his later years, Solomon was was a later child. And he's saying, you saw it, Solomon. You saw it. Then we go to 1 Kings chapter 1, where we wanted to start, and I didn't do it. 1 Kings chapter 1, this is in the last days of David's life, and there's a story about Solomon once again seeing David act as a godly man, being very decisive. Now, David's not a strong man at this moment. David's a very weak man. If you look at the first verse, David was old, stricken in years. He, 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 was, just, he was to the point where he couldn't stay warm. None of you are there yet. None of you have this getting cold quickly. Okay, David did. And so they get this concubine to come in to, to help David to keep warm physically. And it's at this time that David's bedridden that all of a sudden a, tra- a, a, a situation arises. As you read through the chapter, you find that what happened is Adonijah decides he wants to be king. And the reason that he decides he wants to be king is Adonijah is the living oldest son. So he thinks it's his right. What's interesting is you go through the text and it describes Adonijah in verse 5. Adonijah, the son of the one wife, exalted himself saying, I will be king. He prepared himself chariots and horsemen and 50 men to run before him. Do you remember anybody else doing that? Do you remember any any other time? That's exactly what Absalom did. When Absalom tried to draw the hearts of the people away, he had the 50 men going before him. And, as well, Absalom was a good-looking man. Watch what this, is, this next verse describes. His dad had not displeased him at any time in saying, Why have you done such and such? And he was also a good-looking man that his mother bare him. What is, it, what is your translation? Some of you have a different one. What does it say that his dad did not displease him? Do you have something different? Never disciplined him. He gave him everything he wanted. He gave, so this kid grew up a spoiled prince. And so he's, he's the oldest living son. He wants to be king. Therefore, if he wants it, from his perspective, I should get it. I get what I want. And so he has the looks. He has the disposition. He's very good looking. The passage is very clear about that. And he's very vain. He's got the people running out in front of him. And so he's, he's got this attitude that I'm better than most people. And so he, in addition to that, he gets Joab to rally to him. Not only Joab, but he gets Abiathar, the priest, to rally to him. So he's got others encouraging him. David's own close people saying, you should be king. You should be king. Not Solomon. So let's make you king. So what happens is they make, they make Adonijah king. They declare that he is king, and uh, so he's, he, he has this feast. 
and he invites all the other relatives to this feast, and he's got peoples and princes and leaders at the feast. So he invited a whole bunch of people. He's basically getting his group together. He's getting everybody behind him. But he didn't invite certain people. He didn't invite the prophet Nathan. He didn't invite Solomon. Why would he not invite Solomon? Because Solomon's his rival, his adversary for the throne. And so what happens is when they hear about it, Nathan hears about it, and he says to Bathsheba, did the king say something to you about Adonijah instead of Solomon? We've heard twice now the king's made Solomon to be king. He's co-regent. Now, did David change his mind? David's an old man. Maybe he forgot. Maybe David's being senile. And she says, I don't know anything about it. Why don't you go in and you ask the king if that's what he did. Did he make some decision? So she goes in and very tactfully she says to the king, she says, did you, did you mean for Adonijah to become the king? And if so, what's going to happen to me and Solomon? And right on the heels comes Nathan the prophet. He's very tactful. And he comes in and he says, did you mean to make Adonijah king? Did we miss the memo? Did, did, the, did the email get lost in, you know, in the cloud? Did, did somehow? And David says, bring Bathsheba back in here. And, bring, and he has also one of the priests come back in. And David now has witnesses back in the room. And David realizes something's going on. Adonijah ha, is trying to usurp what, what he had chosen. And more importantly, Adonijah is trying to usurp what God has chosen. And David, frail as he is, he musters up the strength. And he says, Solomon is the king. And I want you to do, and he's very decisive. He says, I want you to crown him and anoint him king. I want you to take him, put him on a donkey, and parade him through the streets of Jerusalem. Have trumpets blaring. Let all the people in the city know Solomon is now fully king, king. He's not even co-regent anymore. He is the king and declare it. And in his wisdom and in his strength, here's David that's just saying, hey, we're, you know, he's going to be the person. I'm jumping ahead of all my, all my notes, but that's okay. David is very decisive because this is what God wants. By the way, David knows this could cause a war. But this is what God wants, Solomon to be the king. So he has Solomon paraded through, and the story basically unfolds that what happens is Adonijah's at his party, and they hear the trumpets blaring. And what's the noise? What's the noise? And somebody comes running in and says, David just made Solomon king. Guess what happens to all the party goers? They're all gone. They all leave. And they get out of there really quickly because they don't want to be associated now with the usurper. Boy, friendships are so fickle at times, are they not? And so what happens here is you got David. You got David doing something decisive because it's God's will. And he's just and, and Solomon gets this example that David followed the Lord. I've seen what he's given. I've seen his dedication. I've seen that even when I'm involved with it, he is going to do for me what God has said. So I ask the question, are you providing a good spiritual example for the kids, for the grandkids? In, in areas of, what are you doing? When it comes to these areas of how you speak, you speak how you live, how you forgive other people. Are you, are you a good example about worship? about commitment? Are you a good example about sacrifice, about sharing the gospel? What kind of example are you providing for the next generation?
And then there's one other thing that David does. And it's very subtle. But when David is talking to Solomon in front of everybody, David prays for his son in an open prayer. Only the Lord give you wisdom and understanding and give you charge concerning Israel. That you keep the Lord God. Here he is. He's an adult young man. He's old enough, but dad is praying for him. Dad is asking God's blessing upon his life. Do you pray for the next generation? Do you pray in regards for for asking them for spiritual growth? God, give them spiritual growth. It's good to pray about the physical needs. Financial. Do you pray for the physical growth? Do you pray, God, help my sons, my daughters to obey you? I'm not talking little ones. I'm talking even big ones now. Big kids. Praying and saying, God, help them to obey you, to love you, to worship you. Do you, do you pray on a regular basis? Can I make it even stronger? Do you fast for them? Are they such an important part of your life that you would give time to fast for them? You've all heard the story before, I'm sure, George McCluskey, that he had a couple girls. And he decided that what he would do in his life is he would spend, as a Christian, he was going to spend every noon hour instead of lunch, but five days a week, he would spend that time in praying for his daughters. Then when his daughters got a little bit older and they started having family, he prayed for his grandchildren. And if I'm not mistaken, there was four grandchildren born between these, these uh, two girls. And he prayed for them. So he's still, five days a week, I'm going to pray for them. Not, not only my kids, but my grandkids. And then as a result of that, in his family's history, God led two of the gals, the grandkids, that they married into people who are full-time ministers of the gospel. One of the grandsons became a full-time minister of the gospel. The one grandson, he went awry. He didn't go into full-time gospel preaching. He went into psychology. But then he became a well-known Christian author. Do you know who I'm talking about? James Dobson. James Dobson. Have any of you ever heard of him? Okay. Has he made an impact in Christian realm? Focus on the family? Yeah. And he says in his own account, he says, it all goes back to my granddad's praying. It was my granddad's praying that helped me. And now helping my own next generation. The impact that we can have on the next generation is profound. By what we give, the example we live, what advice we give, even in helping them in some practical areas, but more importantly, giving spiritual counsel, giving spiritual example, more importantly, praying for them. I would encourage you, if you're looking for gifts to give, cups and mugs are are fun. I enjoy those things. But the most lasting thing is the spiritual factors and exercises we can give to a next generation. Father, help us not just to be hearers of the word, but help us to be doers of the word, to give out the word of God to our kids, our grandkids, to make an impact and help it to help them to grow in grace, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks so much for being here. Thanks for listening on live stream. God bless you, folks. Have a good week.